Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, November 7th of 2023, where laypersons and pastors gather every week at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time from wherever we may be to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday and the Sunday of November 12th. And we're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year A. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm Don Upton, and I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And our lead today is Bill Hall, and he's going to read the scripture. He's put together some questions for our discussion that may help all of you if you're facilitating or participating in the class today. Take it away, Bill. How are you doing, my friend? I'm well, thank you. <laughs> we, in a moment, I will read from the New Revised Standard Version, Matthew 25, 1 to 13. Let me briefly note that we had spent some weeks where Jesus was particularly focused on the Jewish religious leaders, scribes, and Pharisees. But beginning in chapter 24 and continuing now in chapter 25, he is focused, his, he is focusing his comments to his disciples, and I would say then and now. Let us hear the word of the Lord as recorded in Matthew 25, 1 to 13. Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Now, I'm going to begin with question one, and Sarah, I'll come to you first in a moment. I will acknowledge this question is a little lengthy, but that length grows out of the importance to see any passage in the light of the fuller context of other scripture portions. The mantra is read scripture in the light of scripture. So here's the background and the question. Using the image of a wedding occurs on other occasions during Jesus's ministry, as recorded in the four Gospels. Early in Jesus's adult ministry, in chapter 2 of John's Gospel, we are told, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding, and we remember The wine ran out, and Jesus resupplied, making that celebration happen. 
In Mark chapter 2 and Luke 5, Jesus notes that while a bridegroom is present, those with him do not fast. Again, it's festive. In Luke 14, Jesus advises, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. Several weeks ago in Matthew chapter 22, we encountered Jesus's parable of the wedding banquet. Those who had been previously invited to the celebration refused to attend with disastrous results for those invited. And one who was later invited and accepted did not wear the appropriate attire and was severely punished. So similar to our story for today, Luke 12:36 says, be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. And a wedding is central to our narrative for this week. Given all of that varied use of that imagery, Sarah, what for you is the impact of these various re- references to weddings, and why might Jesus have used this imagery? Weddings provide a common ground for teaching, for conversation, because everybody has had some experience with a wedding. I think this story offered by Jesus seems to ask, um, to what are we prepared, or for what are we prepared and committed? And how strong is our resolve to that commitment? Um, Here's my wondering. Um, Are we like wedding guests, imagining a sequence of events, Or are we wedding participants? It's a very different preparation. Is our energy spent attending the ceremony and the reception and acquiring the gift and and toasting the new couple? Or are we investing our energy into something that takes place after the wedding, looking forward to a life to come? Um, If we're participants, how do we move through the stressful whirlwind of details? Is it a to-do list just to be punched through? Or do we hold it close to our hearts as something valued for incorporating two family systems into one? As the calendar event comes closer, tensions are going to rise, tempers are going to flare, exhaustion will arrive. Life will, despite all the planning, present something unexpected, bringing either profound sense of agility or the sharp twinge of fragility. It's in these moments like this when the bride and the groom step off the platform of who they were as individuals toward the not yet visible bonded couple they will become. The wedding story Jesus offers points to a similar moment for believers, asking for which wedding perspective are we preparing? Are we only guests at an event? Are we participants in the process? That's what my answer is to question one. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Sarah. That was helpful. Don. I'm with Sarah. Just going to write in the margins. Uh, ask any group. If you're facilitating a class or moderating your class, I would suggest simple list management, and wonderful things will happen. I think Jesus knows that. We all can touch and feel this. I challenge you to think of any brand of literature or drama where weddings are not welcome, useful as plot markers, as a way to understand, as a way to unify. Uh, It doesn't matter if it's comedy, tragedy, fantasy, 
romance, whatever it might be, weddings are welcome. They're useful everywhere. Think of other, uh, other ideas, imageries, uh, actions. They're not always welcome everywhere, but this is everywhere. This and what we would now today call a sacrament is welcome everywhere. So I, I keep that in mind as I go, go through this, that and I'll just give some examples. If you're, if you're asking about the idea of the wedding and what it has said to you, what you've found in literature, or what it has said to you in your heart over time, I'll just give some examples. It is a reunion. I remember uh, we, uh, we thought the pandemic was over. There was a lull, and we, I had the honor of, making, of participating in a wedding as a daughter. And uh, the reunion was extraordinary. It had been a long time. It was happy. So what is the wedding? The wedding was a reunion. Was it a reunion and a wedding? Was it, it was all blended together. Uh, it's also a meditation on time. Uh, and it usually is in terms of what's read and said, a meditation on the past and the present and the future and what's to come. Time is a part of the scripture, this particular parable. It is unity, here we are together, and is unifying because there's usually different cohorts that have not been together before to experience and talk to each other. It is an act of storytelling. I don't know about you and weddings, but there's stories abound. It's also, I've experienced uh, reconciliation uh, in weddings. Uh, and there are other parts of life that do that as well, but especially in weddings, there's a catching up that's going on, especially in coming out of pandemic, catching up, where have you been? There you are. Oh, there you are. Oh, boy, that's wedding. Wedding makes that possible no matter what. Uh, it is a commitment, obviously, a commitment and a reflection on new life, what's to come. I'll be frank, I go to weddings today and I, I pray and I think happily about lives to come and generations to come. I will not be there to witness those things, but I have such confidence, right? It's confidence building. Confidence, confidence, and I think about Christ. Confidence, our hope is in, and we reflect that in the weddings and the wedding feast. Combinations uh, and future thinking, life goes on. Love, finish with that, love, and the idea of love and plenty, making that possible. Final note, Bill, would be, uh, as a part of that, is the job. And I think Sarah was going there, too. There's work to be done, happy work to be done in the wedding. We have work to do as a celebrant, as a pastor, as a bridesmaid, uh, as a best man, as a father. As We have work to do. And as we get into this parable, apparently, as we are assigned this work, we can commit wedding malpractice if we don't focus on the work to be done and think about time and what we're storing up and being ready. That I think we're about to get into a story of well you you are bride you're conducting in bridesmaid malpractice. And here's why. Bill, that's what I've got. Thank you. Uh Don and Sarah, you uh helpfully led into where I wanted to begin with my comments. All of us are responding out of our awareness of scripture and our own life experiences. I'm speaking as one who was a pastor for decades, did hundreds of weddings and weddings are primal and powerful events. Uh, Sarah and Don have already reflected that. There's a mantra that many of us ministers share with each other in private weddings and funerals bring out the best and the worst in families. We have seen that over and over again. Uh, so it, it, Jesus' use of 
weddings, some gruesome and some joyous, are, are true to life. And it occurs to me that weddings are normally planned in advance. There's advance notice, and that's true in the parable of the wedding feast and this parable of the bridesmaids. Everybody knew in advance what was happening. And for whatever reason, some in a former parable chose not to come. So I think that's important that there's a preparation, a signal, Don, as you say, there's work to be done. And there, it's possible to engage in malpractice. <laughs> that was that was helpful. Um, so there can be joy, a sense of abundance, hope, love, or there can be jealousy and attention. Uh, one of the things that I had to deal with as pastors, along with the reconciliation, Don, was people settling those scores, using the wedding as a venue to try to settle some old score. So it's a mixed bag. And it reminds me that all new beginnings, and I think I'm echoing what you said, Don, about work, occur in the midst of factors that challenge and resist. I have seen things go wrong in one sense. The florist doesn't show up or the cake isn't there or what, and people can adapt and still enjoy themselves and not let those details detract from the core essence of two people committing uh, their lives to each other. And I have learned in my own personal marriage and as a pastor, even the most joyous and renewing wedding does not free the newly married couple from the challenges of adapting and finding their way forward as they not only individually, but initially, but throughout their relationship, will be facing new challenges. My wife and I dealt with my retirement some years ago and had to navigate those changes. So no matter how great the wedding is, as you say, Don, there's work to be done. Now, question two, and Don, I'm going to come to you in just a moment. Verses 3 and 4 say, When the foolish took their laps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Frederick Dale Bruner translates verse 3 as, The foolish ones did not bring any reserve oil with them. I think that's a reasonable paraphrase, uh, given that the wise one took flasks of oil with their lamps, something extra. How do you understand and apply in your life of faith the need for reserve oil? Don? Thank you. I think the word reserve is really interesting uh, because I could also say that's an investment in the future. And if I'm investing in my concept of what an evening is or a rival, to come, and I have to make a decision. There's responsibility here, thinking, thinking ahead. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you going, where's your brain? <laughs> don't you know how long a night is? Don't you know? Don't you know? And I think the, the idea of reserving and investing is connected to hope. And uh, if I don't make the, if I don't do the proper reserves, is that, is that an act of hopelessness or an act of playing God? 
because it may be that I have expectations for the traveler. I'll play the bridesmaid, which I'm asked to do, which I delight in. Jesus is going, Don, Don, be the bridesmaid. Uh, he's using the women as analogies of smart thinking. Um, I have expectation for the traveler or I serve the traveler. There's two different things. I think we've got one group that has an expectation for the traveler. They'll be here by 11. The others are serving the traveler. Red, being ready in reserve is different than being ready for what your your own expectations are. And Matthew's filled with people that are setting expectations for the Lord or for the owner. You know, you're not doing it the proper way. And so there's harm to be done and harm in terms of wedding malpractice. What if they'd all done this? Oh no. I mean this was this is teetering, right? Half got it. Thank you. Thank you for thinking clearly and not conducting wedding malpractice. So I would say along with reserve, it allows us to even think about storing up what plenty means, what the arc of life looks like. The arc of the, What is the arc of the night? What is the arc of the journey of a traveler? We're supposed to think about those things. Uh, and I think it goes to, I have a day ahead. We all meet in the morning. Those listeners, you may have a night ahead or a week ahead. I think it actually is meant to bring all that to the expectancy that we have. We're about to be an Advent, by the way. This is great Advent scripture. It's scripture, great stuff. Uh, what does it mean? And we're, we're asked to talk to each other. This is a team, not one person. Matthew's filled with single people. This is a group of people thinking together collectively about what needs to be done. So there's a be awake. There's a be aware. There's a be prepared in this. And to go, how long is the night? He'll be here tonight. Yes, but by 11. No, but do you understand the night? Do you understand the duration of time? Uh, well, I have expectations for the traveler. Well, you're not serving the traveler. I know what, I know what God is. There's Matthew. I know the mind of God. I'll tell you. No, no, you don't. But you can be ready. You can be in expectancy. You can create the reserve uh, so that we can go. And sometimes it takes action of single people. Joseph in the Old Testament. Years of famine are coming. But we're going to be ready. We're going to be ready because we love each other. We need to take care of each other. And God is in all this. The final note I've got is this is a reversal of Matthew uh, parables, I think. Uh, and I'll just, you know, for those that have been listening in through the year on this journey, and A, Matthew parables are filled with people going, we have the practical answer. If you start pulling up weeds now, we're going to save half the crop. And the answer is no. We're going to save 100% of the crop. And they go, not possible. And then we have this collision of the practical and the mind of God. You know, and in this case, the practical is right. Practical thinking and the gospel do go together sometimes. And I think it is that reserve question you have. That's what I've got, Bill. Thank you, Don. Uh, Sarah, how do you understand and apply in your life of faith the need for reserve oil? Again, I think the question is, for what are we prepared? Are we observers at an event or participants in a life filled with growth? It's a continual question I think we have to ask ourselves. It repoints us to how we want to engage with the Creator. Um, thanks to Reverend Dr. Janet Hunt and her November 2021 blog, Dancing with the Word, she asks, how might we or how might this oil be a reservoir of the Holy Spirit in us? And if it is, 
how do we notice or how do I notice when it's running low? How am I aware of how to replenish that oil? And how do I understand how the oil will provide for those around me? Right? So when I'm using a lamp, everybody around me can see. So I think it's it's important when we consider our purpose is to provide light to others. And and we resolve or we restore the loss of oil by being watchful and by being prepared. And I see the the reservoir of oil as a way of being thoughtful about those around me instead of only myself. Um, you know, I think that, that Don, I like Don's language when he talked about wedding malpractice, um, that the purpose of the bridesmaids was to light the way. And if you don't have a lamp, you've lost your purpose. So if you've only anticipated that the bridegroom will take till 11 to get there, instead of planning for the whole night, I think it's a simple thing to plan for the whole night. Have enough oil for the whole night. And that way, when the day comes, you're ready. No matter what time he arrives. The bridegroom, that is. So, that's my thoughts. Thank you, Sarah. I will begin by noting that this portion of Scripture is a troubling and unsettling detail in Jesus' story. The problem with five of the women having no reserves comes when it is time to welcome the bridegroom and the refusal of the other five women who had extra oil seems to promote a scarcity understanding of God's work in the world, contradicting Jesus's call to his disciples to take what little they have and share it with others, trusting that little is much when God is in it. Holding on the essential truth that with God's help, two loaves of bread and five fish can feed a multitude, I am challenged to search for another understanding of the extra oil of the lack thereof. I do not believe Jesus is contradicting his message to share for those in need. So it led me to ask myself, what reserves are there or could there be for me? I think I've told this story before. Early in my ministry out of seminary, uh, I was pastoring a chapel in the low-income community and on the staff of a large, vigorous church a couple of miles away. And one morning, I was sharing with a farmer in the chapel ministry that I was frustrated that I was felt like I wasn't coming up with something new to say in a sermon. And his gift to me was to say, Pastor, I do not come to worship wanting my pastor to tell me something I do not already know. I want to be reminded of what I already know. And I think that's an important reserve. That's what drives this podcast and other uh, such things is we're revisiting what we've been over for, especially following the lectionary, but it's a reminder that worship, prayer, fellowship, um, other spiritual disciplines are a way to uh, build up our reserves. Um, in the last verse of this week's gospel passage, Jesus says, and, and I think this is the point of the story, 
Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And this is echoed in other passages. We are to be awake to what events are telling us. And there's a gift of memory of how God in the past was present, even when God seemed to be absent. I don't, certainly, we don't know the final answer to this question. The gospel is there are reserves that God offers us and that we can choose to employ. Third question. Bible scholar Amy Moisel in the Lectionary Commentary Connections notes that, quote, it is hard to know how to stay ready for an uncertain future and what to take care of right now. What is foolish or wise is rarely as simple as keeping enough oil on hand. And then she raises the question, how can I personally or we as a church know if we are ready for Jesus, end quote. Given these appropriate cautions, what do you take away from this story, and how might it influence the way you live as a follower of Jesus Christ? Audrey West, in the Christian Century, October 25, 2017 edition of that publication, says, it is better to be wise than foolish but sometimes it is tough to tell the difference. (laughs) Yes, it is. I resonate with that. I hear what this passage is calling for, but I am not crystal clear what that means for me or for the church or for anyone else. And we remember earlier in chapter 24, Jesus, when the disciples wanted to know when he would return, he said, no one knows neither the angels nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus said he did not know when that return would occur. And then later in today's chapter, the latter part of the 25th chapter, Matthew is a familiar story of the sheep and goats in which personal judgment is at the end based on how one responded when confronted with human need with the powerful statement by Jesus that when you served one of the least of these in my family, you did it to me. Uh, Another example of what I said earlier, Jesus is, we are going to be judged on what we did with what we had uh, to share with others. And on the cross waiting for his death, Jesus ministered to one of the thieves beside him. And waiting, in other words, for the second coming doesn't have to mean we passively do nothing. And I want to end my comments with a quote from Caroline Lewis in Working Preacher, November 2, 2014. And I read this in its entirety because it well summarizes for me. She says, we want the wait to be over, but at the same time, We trust that God will show up. The bridegroom will show up. God will show up in the midst of any manifestation of our waiting. God will show up to be what we need God to be, depending on how we experience the waiting. If our waiting is experienced in fear, God comes with peace. If our waiting is experienced in longing, God arrives with deep and abiding satisfaction. If our waiting is experienced in anticipation, God accompanies us in the joy 
that should be present. So keep alert. It means that, she says, we recognize our absolute dependence on the presence of God. I appreciate that more affirming, positive way uh, to hear this story, that the bridegroom will arrive and will be present with us. Uh, Sarah, your thoughts on this question? I'm going to fall back into the idea of for what do I hope? In In this work of being a Christ follower, do I want to watch from a distance? Do I want to move closer to the action? At what point does my wonder and awe start to overshadow my fear? When do I stop reading along and let go of the script and start to look up? There's that magical moment that happens when you're doing theater production and you start to move away from the script. You have it memorized. You know where you're supposed to be. You know when your cues are and you're ready. And that's when the real work of, of performance begins and you start to interact with your co-actors, I guess is the right language to, to work with there. Um, you start to interact with the other people on the stage. And it becomes a free-flowing experience instead of one that's it's driven by a script. So when do I stop reading the script and start looking up? I feel like that's the magical moment when the real wedding slash life begins the sustaining interactive relationship with the creator that I crave. That's the that's what I'm moving toward. And then I become a responsive interactor, if you will, a collaborator with the salvation at hand, instead of a person that observes and partakes um, as needed. And I think that, that the responsive relationship is what we're all striving for. Thank you, Sarah. Don. Thank you. Uh, I think just for fun and discussion, I will take exception to the position that you read, though I did not read the full piece, but just for a counterpoint. It's, I think it's, this story is told to make it clear that with a little work, a little insight, a little dedication to the allocation of labor, we do understand. She's like, well, this is, I think the statement suggested, well, this is easy. Life isn't as simple as having the oil for a lamp. Like, well, I don't know that this is all that easy because half of them didn't know what to do. But I think it's mostly for hope. And the hope, the the, the understanding is that I can plan for a day. If I am alert, I can engage in the business of life, especially those unifying moments that carry through all literature and all of our lives that we can touch and feel and that will give us a reflection of what the arrival that we have in mind, the hope that Sarah's talking about is. So, you know, for the listener, I'm like, I get the heart of it. Obviously, you know, half of the group got it wrong. But that, I think the point is focus on the bridesmaids that thought through what the night is and who they're serving. Were they purporting to be the mind of the traveler or are they serving the traveler? We can do it. Yay. Try it. Try it today. Try it in the next three hours. And there's a there's always arrivals. And this is the big arrival, right? This is where life changes. So I, I'm taking a healthy, hopefully healthy exception to that, that I think this was meant to demonstrate that the Christ is tangible. The hope is tangible. The future is tangible. The past is done. The, fi- the finished work of the Christ is tangible. It's all there. 
that we can do. It raises the question of the end, you know, and they're not let inside, those that fail to do their job. The ones that engaged in malpractice were left out. Uh, Bill Wallace described this whole chapter. Uh, Bill Wallace uh, is a man we honor with this podcast who taught lectionary uh, classes at Palmyra Presbyterian Church that makes this podcast possible for generations. And we, we miss Bill, and we, we honor him what we do. Bill called this whole chapter menacing. But, I, you know, I've got, I, and I understand that, but I think he, he said that to set up, you know, the, a meditation on the exclusion. I, I believe the folks that aren't led inside because you can't see them. I, I, just, I just think they're so out of context, it's, it's more of, I would call it humor. It's like, well, of course they're not that inside. It's a weird hour. I, hello? Who, we don't open the gates. I can't, who? Who? I can't see you. I can't hear you. It's more like, I, I'll take that with a little more dose of humor here. That's the focus on the bridesmaid that got the job done. Um, and then in terms of accessibility, I just want to highlight when I read this. Half of the world's human population is treated differently, even in the context of faith. And Jesus over and over says, and I'll make our role play, Don, be the bridesmaid. Where's the wisdom? Where's the lack of malpractice? Where's the dedication to the job that needs to be done? These women, these bridesmaids. All right? Who's teaching you, Don? Bridesmaid. You know, Jesus, Jesus loves everybody and the ability to serve and lead and make the right decisions, and store up reserves, and think strategically. And this case is vested with women and bridesmaids. Be the bridesmaid. Go there. Just for, you know, holistic purposes and bringing your body on board. I, I think uh, there is, to, to just finally counter one more time this, this piece you were talking about, Bill, is we can understand. We can get this. Yes, it might be hard, but, you know, this is a team of people that got it right. So we need each other as well. Is failure possible? Yeah. But, boy, good critical thinking allows us to understand the Christ. That's what I've got, Bill. And I'll, uh, before we wrap up, let me just go around and see if there's any follow-up comments, Sarah or Bill, before we say goodbye. Your, your comments reminded me, Matt Skinner on Working Preacher powerfully says, the point of this parable is the story do our choices matter? Are there consequences for our choices? Yeah, I guess if there's anything menacing and scary, it's like, oh gosh, you mean I I'm, I can make I can impact people? And Jesus is like, yeah, you can. <laughs> you sure can. Well, it's scary. Well, think. Work as a team. Work together. Imagine. Use your na- use your noggin. Let's go. Uh, well, for folks listening in. As you can tell, we all love getting to this passage every three years. Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. Uh, and for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We always commend that site to you for more discussions of lectionary, other lectionary passages, disagreements, affirmations, prayers, outstanding sermons, great music, opportunity to take communion, so check that out, and you are always welcome, and we will see you next time.